Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Rank Up, a fortnightly on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news and much more. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Gary, and I'm joined once again by my regular co-host, Ed Wilson. How are you doing this weekend? Yeah, very well, Ben. Uh, excited for the new milestone in the Rank Up podcast, um, so I guess I'll let you introduce what that, <laughs> that yes. milestone may be. Excellently teased. Uh, the new milestone for the Rank Up podcast is that this month we are joined by our first external guest, as the, the, the first guy joining us from outside impression. It's Kevin Capezzi. How are you, Kevin? Hi. Hi, guys. Yeah, very, very um, happy to, to be here. And uh, yeah, I feel welcomed and I'm quite excited to be fair. It's the most exciting thing I've done uh, for a long <laughs> while during lockdown. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Excellent. We are looking forward to having you. Um, we've had 10 episodes now of a lot of impression. Um, so it'll be really good to get someone not from impression to give us a different perspective. Um, and you are, of course, uh, from Experian. Um, would you like to just give us a very quick introduction to uh, what it is that you do um, within Experian and, and kind of what your SEO background is? Yeah, so um, in terms of my background, um, I previously worked for Hallam, Hallam Internet, which is an old rival agency for, for impression. <laughs> um, friendly, friendly rivals. Um, so I was there for a couple of years um, and then I transitioned into an in-house role. Yeah. Um, which is um, the SEO specialist uh, at Experian B2B. Well, I would say I started as UK, Ireland and EMEA, but now it's going to transition to just UK and Ireland. Um, we're just yeah. going through a few transitional changes. So I'm going to be focusing on fewer websites, which is, which is good for me. Um, yeah. So a lot of people think that I deal with the you know credit checking side of things. I, I don't have any any involvement in that at all unfortunately okay. um as, as exciting as that sounds so i, I don't <laughs> deal with any experience you know credit checking uh products it's just all the b2b uh solutions that are probably a lot less known um so yeah, yeah just trying to make that a bit more visible in search awesome thanks for that kevin so we're we're going to hear a lot more from you on um your experience at experian um and particularly to do with uh, b2b seo and uh, that transition from uh, agency to in-house that you mentioned there. Uh, that will be coming up in our next episode, uh, which will be a couple of weeks on from this one. Um, but as we as we usually do, we're going to take this episode um, to get to know our guest a little bit more and discuss some top stories from uh, the world of SEO. So we have each picked a different story, whether that be an article, a tweet, or just a general news topic uh, that has come about fairly recently. Um, to to just discuss some different areas in, and go into some different parts of SEO that we might not get to speak about in depth otherwise. Um, and I will actually be kicking off uh, this section of our show. And my topic this week comes from Kevin Indig, who I believe we have featured on this show before, possibly back in the first episode. Um, and he's written an article somewhat recently on competitor SEO. Is called The Three Best Practices of Competitor SEO You Should Know, uh, which was published uh, back in September. And it's a really interesting article on a particular niche of content production, essentially, because uh, I suppose competitor SEO could refer to all kinds of different practices, um, anything from sort of ranking and link analysis through to what Kevin is talking about here, 
I've just realized I have to make sure I don't get confused. We got we managed to get an article from Kevin Indig on the same show that we have a guest called Kevin. Um, so I will do my best to keep it to, to keep it, you know, make sense and keep it separate. Um, Kevin Indig has uh, talked about his time uh, when he was working at uh, Atlassian, which is a, a company that was competing with Zendesk. Um, and he talks about a time at Atlassian where Zendesk uh, decided uh, they kind of recognized that the search Zendesk alternative was really popular and uh, that, that competitors and various articles were, essentially, were, were promoting other brands by using Zendesk as the jumping off point. And he says that Zendesk competed on that search by creating a band called Zendesk Alternative uh, for whom they actually created a website, a MySpace page, a Twitter account um and really went all in on it and apparently uh you can still search zendesk alternative and find this band ranking pretty highly now and at the time it actually ranked top for that keyword pushing down these articles like top five zendesk alternatives and whatever um and then he uses that as a springboard to talk about this topic a bit more a uh, bit more widely and says you've got keywords like this zendesk alternative type keyword but also versus queries. So he uses the example of Salesforce versus HubSpot um, and essentially goes then through three separate examples of where different companies are using content to target mostly larger competitors by the looks of it. So one example is a software, a video editing software company called Filmora um, making how-to guides for uh, Adobe. Uh, I think it's uh, yeah Adobe Premiere Pro, uh, which is their competing product. Um, and they've made a load of how-to guides for that, but through these how-to guides, they're promoting their own Filmora product. Um, and then he talks about uh, ConvertKit, which is a MailChimp competitor uh, who's written a blog about why uh, why you shouldn't switch from MailChimp to ConvertKit, so why you should stay on MailChimp, uh, which is an interesting little reverse psychology thing. Uh, makes for quite an entertaining article. And finally, talks about Wistia, which is sort of a YouTube competitor, but specifically for business videos, marketing videos. Um, and Wistia created their own video talking about why you should use it over YouTube and have then uploaded that video to YouTube, uh, where presumably it's getting market, it's getting hits actually on their competitor, which is another interesting angle. Mm. So there's a lot to go out there. Uh, it's, it's a long article, which is why I've kind of tried to do my best to run through it but i do recommend going to read it um and i have to say it's a strategy that i've never really had the opportunity to pursue um and one that seems like quite a great like quite a good tactic if you're in uh, an industry or you have a company where it makes sense mm. um ed and kevin what are your what were your first reactions upon reading this was it something that you thought that sounds interesting that sounds doable or it seems more like a gimmick and a side project no i think um i think for i guess it's it's heavily well it's I've, i imagine it's heavily favored towards kind of SaaS websites right in terms of those um selling service uh, sorry selling software or something like that yeah um i think as you mentioned it was historically that articles would aim to rank for this these kind of terms where it's a certain publication that looks to compare services or products or anything like that for a user um and then now i guess it's kind of similar to kind of reputation management where you try and own your reviews but if there's yeah. an article out there you know slating your product or anything compared to another one you obviously want to try and own that and i think also if you've got if you feel like you've got a competitive advantage in terms of the the i guess the 
positives about your product or anything like that, then you want to kind of own that space. So I think yeah. it's really solid. I think it's, yeah, it's trying to own that area where people are in that decision-making uh, search where they want to know between, you know, the service that you're, that you're offering and, and are doing, you know, competitive searches through this. Um, yeah. So I think I regularly in my own time, you know, do comparisons between products and things like that, just to see if there are any articles that list out the benefits of each individual one and, and kind of, um, yeah, look to compare them. So um, yeah, I do it in my, yeah, in my own time. So I think it's a really solid strategy. I think, as you mentioned, um, we've featured a few Kevin Indig articles now, so clearly a sign that he's producing a lot of good content. But I think yeah. anyone that's involved in this space and, are, you know, and then and are confident that they, do have a competitive edge over their competitors then mm. they should be certainly investing in this type of content absolutely uh kevin you've worked on and uh, throughout your career you've worked on websites of very different sizes and in very different industries uh, and i'm just wondering if if that experience uh maybe gives a bit of insight here that how particular do you think this strategy is um do you think there are certain requirements that need to be in place for this to succeed or could anyone give it a go? Yeah, I think um, well, I've never actually implemented the strategy myself before, um, but I can see it working really, really well where there is just natural um, search intent from users who actually do want to compare, you know, to very similar companies that offer very similar Offerings, um, yeah. you know, as, as you mentioned, you know, SaaS companies, uh, you know, for example, MailChimp, anything like that, um, any kind of platform that you want to compare, I think, I think would be a really good strategy. Um, and I think you mentioned it before, you know, Experian in terms of the credit checking side of things. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do have natural competitors, you know, there are multiple credit reference agencies out there. So it, yeah. it, it, it only makes sense that you'd want to compare one against the other. Um, because they offer very, very similar uh, products and services. So I think whenever there are two or three or even more companies that offer very, very similar products, um, yeah. it would make sense to have 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 something like this because, yeah, it, it's naturally – it's good for the user as well, and, and Google likes that, as, as we know. Mm -hmm. So um, as long as it makes sense for the user and the user has that intent of comparing the two companies, um, I think, yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like about the article as well is that he gives a really simple um, kind of starting point for how to decide what guides to do and just simply using Google Suggest, which anyone can do regardless of what tools you have, um, just by searching company versus and seeing what comes up. Uh, and I was I was telling Kevin beforehand, we did this with Experian um, because that <laughs> Kevin worked at Experian also as a company I could think probably would have um, suggestions coming up and it did as as Kevin mentioned with the different credit checkers there um, but it's it's interesting whether this would be something that most uh, whether something a larger company would consider like I don't know whether this is something Experian would see as important to do or whether it's something that you would more do as a smaller competitor trying to break into the market which is more of the examples that Kevin Indig gives in his in his article yeah, it's a very interesting point that you've raised. Um, I'm not sure if larger organizations would want to focus or bring more attention to yeah. competitors who are probably less prominent than them. Um, yeah. I, I can't answer for Experian, uh, unfortunately, because I don't actually work in that uh, consumer team yeah, of course. based in London. Uh, yeah. I, I work in a B2B team based in Nottingham. 
Um, but I'm only guessing that they probably wouldn't want to use the strategy because it would just draw attention to, to the competitors and, and they probably don't want to do that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's my opinion. It's probably wrong, yeah. but um, that's, that's what I think. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that's actually a really good point is that what it could be an actual angle if you say, for example, the, the bigger company in the market is comparing against smaller uh, companies and therefore providing more visibility towards these products that people may not have heard of. Yeah, and I, I think it's notable that the one example Kevin Indig uses of a, the kind of leader in the market with Zendesk, it was going after that Zendesk alternative keyword, which is not specifically highlighting any competitors in their own copy. Um, and of course, they did it in that kind of gimmicky way that, that still worked through their band. But it means they don't have to have any blogs on their website like Zendesk versus Atlassian or whatever. Um, mm. Whereas that's what you would like if Experian was to go against some of these competitors that we've seen here in these search results, like Experian versus Equifax, that if Experian was going to target that, you'd have to be mentioning Equifax somewhere on the site, even if it was to do an unfavorable comparison, which might not be ideal. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. And, and with large organizations, you have to go through legal a lot of the time. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> It, it, it could be a hard article to get out um, just, yeah, in terms of um, getting that reviewed and, and approved, yeah. let's just say. No, that, that's really good. I, th I think that's a really helpful note to end on because if people are listening to this thinking if they want to give it a go, um, knowing that business context and, and the kind of the way the business is going to want to talk about itself and position itself against its competitors is going to be really important because uh, a lot of smaller businesses will be very happy to position themselves that David versus Goliath kind of role going up against the the big guns but the big guns themselves might not be so keen to um to kind of give that competition a higher profile than it needs mm. um so we'll move on now to Ed's article which is a completely different one we've got three very very different topics today um so I'll let you introduce this one Ed and uh, and go through it Cool. Thanks, Ben. Um, so yeah, this uh, this article is called "Long-Term Shared Hosting Experiment." It's by uh, Oliver Sissons and was published on uh, Reboot Online. Um, first, I guess straight off the bat, I I kind of love these more well, these types of articles where they look to experiment and test certain things within Google. So it's very much of that nature. Uh, and essentially, what they wanted to test um, with this um, is understanding uh, shared hosting versus kind of dedicated hosting. Um, so they've kind of indicated that in the context that where a website is hosted on a, a bad neighborhood as such as, um, you know, commonly referred to as a host IP address or another virtual location where a collection of low quality penalized or potentially problematic websites. So uh, porn, gambling, potentially pharmacy as well. So maybe burn and churn websites, you know, um, maybe conducting kind of black hat practices as well um, versus uh, a website's being set up on um, potentially like AWS, uh, Amazon Web Service um, yeah, servers and things like that. So um, essentially what they've tried to this, well, test within this area is setting up 20 websites um, split between 10 on uh, dedicated hosting and then uh, the other 10 on um, kind of uh, shared hosting. So the i think they actually host 10 websites on um, aws so, and they actually um have created a keyword um not great at pronouncing it but the can you say it better i think it's hegner hengestio 
which is what they refer to as the art and design behind server setup results, which results in fast, powerful and efficient websites. So they wanted to find a keyword that essentially provides no results so they can set up these websites um, to test and see if they're ranking. Um, so, yeah, they've in terms of the websites that they set up, they pretty much try to make sure that all kind of ranking signals as such are, are aligned. There's no page speed differences. All the content is the same. The layout of the content are the same. And they put a lot of um, kind of tracking in place to make sure that this is pretty consistent as well and nothing would actually impact, um, I guess, the ranking performance. Uh, and essentially what the result was is that the all of the websites hosted on uh, AWS pretty much outranked all those on the kind of shared hosting. I think there was one that popped up that was nowhere near the top, but maybe at position nine or ten or something like that. But yeah, for the most part, it was um, the websites hosted on AWS that would uh, that, that were actually ranking higher. Um, I guess just my thoughts on the article alone, as mentioned, I kind of love these experiments anyway. I think um, John Mueller did actually come back to it and say, kind of praise the the, the test itself. And I think it was also, um, I think it was Sarah Shepard that had a, a part in kind of analysing the article before it went live. Um, but he mentioned that it, it shouldn't really make a difference anyway. But I imagine people would say that if they're trying to promote <laughs> an all-inclusive web. But to me, it makes sense from a business perspective from Google. They want to, I guess, focus time on crawling websites that are easy to crawl and, you know, with, uh, yeah, I guess, cleaner hosting as such, rather than focus time on websites that they know uh, have a history of, you know, popping up and then, uh, yeah, there's burn and churn websites. So, yeah, I think it, to me, the the experiment makes, makes sense. I wouldn't, you know, 100% believe into it, but, um, I guess it's more a case that most businesses now would be on dedicated and kind of secure hosting. Um, it's more of those advising that uh, smaller business search or if you're setting up a standalone website that is, is probably worth investing in, um, you know, bare hosting to actually, if you're, you know, trying to compete within uh, the organic space within Google. It seems like they're really trying to, um, was it Oliver was the author, Oliver Sisson. Yeah. Seems yeah. like he's really trying to warn people off going for these hosting solutions that seem too good to be true, and like mm -hmm. these these prices that seem to promise like excellent hosting for low prices, um, and essentially saying what the risk is there, uh, mm -hmm. which I think is a pretty it's pretty noble reason to do this, and I think it's good that this content exists, whether kind of many most first-time business owners setting up the website for the first time would come across this article i don't know um but i suppose for those of us who are reading it if we come across people in that situation it's good to be aware of experiments like this yeah definitely and i think i think if a, a business owner would um was speaking to me just maybe at the pub or um, in a coffee shop or something like that if they were asking me to list off like the the first few requirements to perform well in SEO, I wouldn't necessarily always jump towards the hosting side of things. So I think mm. it's it, if they asked that question, it seems so obvious. But I think this has just highlighted to me that yes, you know, obviously hosting is very important, and making sure that you've got a secure website that also hopefully you know has wider benefits in terms of security and. Uh, page speed and things like that would obviously bring a lot of benefit. But I, I think it's just highlighted to me again that, you know, it, it's a potentially very important area for people that are, I guess, new to creating websites and looking for hosting options. 
Yeah. Kevin, I know you, you see your day job is at Experian, but I know you do some freelancing as well. And I don't know if it's possible that this kind of thing is more likely to come up there. Is this something you sort of find useful hearing about for that role? Yeah. Um, it, I did find it quite interesting that um, from the experiment, the speed and performance was on average identical. So usually mm. you hear that dedicated hosting is obviously, you know, a lot, a lot faster, but it, it seems like from the experiment, it was pretty identical um, from, from the sites that they used. Yeah. So um, it's interesting that Google would tend to rank the AWS server ones. Um, mm. Are there other technical elements that, that might, that might play into that? I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, I did find that interesting. I mean, I've, I've experienced sometimes when there might be other factors at play, but it, it's mm. good that they had very, very identical websites in this experiment. So I'd, yeah, I'm not sure. Um, obviously, you know, you'd always want to go for dedicated hosting. Uh, it seems a bit more secure, but more safe. Yeah. And maybe Google looks at that as, you know, one of its requirements for a good website, you know, the technical mm. side of things and how trustworthy it might be if it's got a, yeah. well, a more well-known or more well-trusted uh, hosting provider. Maybe that, that plays into it. I don't know. Yeah. We do know that that's a focus of Google ever since they've done things like cracking down more on HTTP versus HTTPS. And uh, this article lists some examples of the warnings you get from Chrome with potential malware or when it comes up in Google saying this site may be hacked. So it does seem to be in line with Google's ethos overall to be policing sites like this quite heavily. Mm -hmm. um, awesome. Shall we go to our final topic um, of this episode then, uh, which is uh, I'll hand over to Kevin for. Yeah, so uh, my article pick was Shopify's latest update to international domains. So historically, uh, Shopify had been really, really bad in terms of uh, internationalizing your uh, Shopify website. So um, before, you'd have to have separate installations to create um, another version of your website. So you, you essentially have to pay two lots of fees if you wanted to expand to, let's say, France or Germany. Yeah. Um, but now it looks like they are, you know, making it a lot easier for people to have one installation of Shopify and then add multiple um, subdomains or, um, you know, local, mm -hmm. uh, local, local domains. So yeah. it, it's, it's a big step from Shopify. It's obviously not the perfect solution because, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd always offer for a subdirectory or subfolder installation for internationalization um, mm. if, if, if the organization isn't that big. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a big step forward. And even um, Alidia, I don't know if that's, that's a yeah, Alidia Solis. Yeah, yeah. Solis, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if, if you know anything about international SEO, you've probably come across her tweets before. Um, so she's, you know, really, really, really well renowned in the industry. And uh, she also commented that she had, you know, comments about the lack of flexibility in international targeting with a single install. Mm -hmm. um, and she also made the comment or, or the question that, you know, subdirectories for country targeting, um, is that now supported or, mm. or is it just, just for languages? So obviously they, they still have some way to go uh, with that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm especially interested in, in this because uh, I do naturally work with a lot of small business owners who do have Shopify sites and yeah. it is a real pain to, to get them technically uh, the, the way you want because you are you are you know pretty much um, 
you know you don't have that flexibility yeah in, in terms of making it the way you want to make it in terms of seo best practices yeah mm -hmm. it, it seems like seo is at the center of a lot of this for them I, I even mentioned it a couple of times in the documentation that we'll we'll link in the show notes um where they're saying they, they've done certain things to make sure it follows seo best practice and href lang is implemented from the start and all of that so it seems like they've they've given it a good go. It'd be interesting to see whether it does stack up to a full analysis if you if you had a site or multiple sites that were set up in this way. Yeah, I also think with kind of international as a whole, you know, um, with the with hreflang, it's kind of a an area that is kind of still so tricky. Um, it's not like an ultimate directive for a search engine; it's a suggestion. So, having you know, without that being you know, I guess trying to focus on HF Lang is like one issue that many SEOs that will probably work on within um, the SEO side of things, but ultimately mm. trying to make sure that your your domain setup and everything like that, that's the kind of the first step of it. So it's good that they're um, trying to improve this, especially as I guess um, most recently we've seen so many websites or businesses migrate to Shopify and it, it would be annoying to obviously invest in there into a platform that and when you want to in, in, um, expand internationally, you have those limitations with there. So hopefully you'll, you know, kind of play catch up around that. Mm. I think, does it give you the option to do, it gives you the option to do domains and subdomains. Is that right? Uh, from yeah. what I can see. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know if we've covered this on the on the podcast before, but um, do you guys have preferences when choosing between domains and subdomains for international SEO? Would you advise people to go a particular direction if if they were using the Shopify setup, for example? So um, what I would it it always comes down to me. Uh, well, for me, it always comes down to kind of the the organisation of the company. So if in my mind, if that company has its own like presence in that specific country, that's quite well known so they do have an individual marketing team for that country um it's quite well known in that country as well um i'm happy to go with that kind of country code domain so .fr.de or anything like that right. um hreflang can you know support that setup as well so there's no issues around that and i think um from a branding perspective it's more commonly um the best practice for because you i think studies have shown like high click-through rates to that area have an impact but also most recently i think they've actually analyzed that metadata actually has a higher click-through rate rather than the actual individual domain but mm. from a from a seo purely perspective i think the dot you know the overall domain.com or yeah the dot com solution is the preferred you know uh, way to go just to consolidate all that authority and try and have it you know spread towards all your specific countries and that so to me it comes down to the the business and how they're set up i think anyone i think maybe as uh, kevin mentioned there if you're looking to expand and you're a smaller business it's probably worthwhile going down that group top level domain because then you can yeah. have that all authority that you currently have and try and have that to have uh, an impact on your desired uh, subfolders yeah, Kevin, is that something you would you would want to advise uh, clients to go on in a, in a particular direction with that international setup as well? Yeah, um, I, I completely agree with uh, what Ed said. So um, for organizations such as Experian, where you've got dedicated teams, dedicated marketing teams, dedicated sales teams in each country, it absolutely makes sense to have a, you know, .fr 
uh, .es, um, you know, domain setup, mm. um, because you do have the dedicated support. Um, but if you are a, a smaller brand, a challenger brand, and you're trying to consolidate as much as your authority as possible in, and, and try and, you know, make the best go to, to launch a new, a new territory, I'd always try and keep it within that .com. Um, mm -hmm. and have a forward slash fr forward slash es yeah because um, that that gives you the best chance of ranking in that new territory because google already recognizes oh this is this is the same entity um but they do have presence elsewhere mm -hmm. um whereas if you try and launch a dot fr and and you're not not a well-known brand you know you're kind of starting from scratch and google doesn't yeah. even know who you are uh so you kind of have to build, build that relationship up again so it really depends on the brand, I'll say. You know, if, if you're a big brand, yes, it makes sense. If if you're not a big brand um, or nowhere close to being a big brand, then um, just try and consolidate your efforts as much as possible. So that that's a one more step. Then it sounds like we would like to see from Shopify still would be supporting that kind of subdirectory setup as well as just the domain setups. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it looks like they they are pushing towards more SEO friendly um updates um i think they even said something about xml um you know sitemaps as well being supported yes. so they, they are they are really thinking about seo so which which is good it's a really positive from shopify mm. from what i saw also on twitter i think i saw someone share it um they're actually recruiting for kind of an seo director as well so i imagine that's going to be kind of the voice of the seo side of things so hopefully with that signal there that they're trying to get someone at director level to advice on the SEO setup. I mean, I could be wrong. It, it, yeah. it did feel like a very prominent position in the company that would be advising them of how the website should be structurally built for, or yeah, for a, you know, any company to be structurally built. So hopefully with that, you know, offering, well, that, that position there, it kind of shows their ambition to kind of invest more in um, the SEO setup side of uh, shop, uh, yeah, Shopify. Excellent. Well, it sounds like it's one to keep an eye on then, especially for those of us working with multiple clients and multiple businesses, um, as it's, it's always good to know what the functionality of different CMSs is, is like with, uh, with SEO. And it's obviously Shopify is a very popular one anyway. So it's hopefully only going to make our lives easier if they get better. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, and I think that will do it for this week's Rank Up podcast episode. Um, but uh, Kevin will be sticking around with us um, and we're going to be back in two weeks with our knowledge panel episode for the month where we will be uh, quizzing Kevin a lot more on, on what he does at Experian and, and his roles uh, in B2B SEO, his experience going in-house from working in an agency uh, and lots of good stuff around there. We've got loads of questions to ask him. Um, so we're really excited to get into that episode and excited to bring that one to you shortly. Um, but in the meantime, while you're waiting for that one to appear, uh, we would really appreciate it if you could leave a review of this podcast on the app of your choice. Um, we've only been going a few months still, and it really makes a difference to help us get off the ground and to help other people discover us organically on those apps. Uh, Kevin, before we go for this episode, uh, where can people find you online if they want to see more of what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, so um, I'm trying to be more active on Twitter. I'm, I'm really bad at Twitter. I'm, I'm trying to get better, better, better at it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you just follow me at Kev K Digital, um, nice. so you know at Kev K Digital, um, and also LinkedIn. If you just add me on, you know Kevin Capezzi, my name. Um, I'm happy to you know connect and answer any questions. Um, yeah, feel free to to have a chat with me. That's, awesome. that's where you can find me. Perfect. We'll drop links in the show notes as well to make that extra easy. 
Um, and Ed and I are both on Twitter as well. Um, although, like Kevin, I feel like there's there's more I could be doing and I could definitely get better at it. Uh, but we are there. I am at Ben J. Gary with two R's in Gary. And Ed is at Ed JTW with two D's in Ed. Uh, and if you can't wait for your next helping of digital marketing content, uh, Impression has loads going on at the moment. We have a variety of webinars going on all the time. Um, throughout October, uh, we will have been uh, doing Tea Time SEO. Uh, depending on the date this podcast actually goes live, I think there may be a, a couple episodes will have uh, happened of that already, and there may be a couple more to come. But uh, I will be doing a Tea Time SEO session on search intent. So I'm sure that will be available after the fact as well if you want to check that out. Um, and you can find everything that's going on at Impression uh, over at the Impression blog, which is impression.co.uk slash blog. And as always, we highly recommend checking out womenintechseo.com slash speakers as well. Uh, if you're looking for uh, people to feature in various different engagements or people you want to speak to about uh, technical SEO in particular, something that's very important to us here at RankUp, uh, we really recommend checking that out because there's loads of great people uh, that you can find there. Well, Kevin, uh, thank you so much for your time this week. Uh, we're looking forward to speaking to you again shortly. Uh, and Ed, thank you again, as always. Uh, and we will be back in two weeks for your next installment of On Page Conversation. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Mike. Cheers. Thanks, guys.